Smartcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. I think that's something really special about this is business owners have never had more tools at their disposal to be connected to their customers in a really scalable way. Instead of just like telling the account management team, book three customer calls for me this week. Like I can actually hear them talking and interacting with people on the team. Welcome to Think Business with Tyler, sharing our methods and strategies for success. Join in on our conversations with business owners as we highlight their triumphs and detail how they overcame the challenges they faced while continuing to grow and scale their business. It's time to think life, think success, and think business with your host, Tyler Martin. Hello, thanks for listening. Our guest is Sam Malakarjunan, the CEO and co-founder of OneScreen.ai. Sam, a former instructor at Harvard and former head of growth at HubSpot Labs, emphasizes the need for innovative thinking and building close customer relationship. In this episode, Sam shares his thoughts on the biggest advantage that small businesses have over large corporations. Also, the importance of self-care for entrepreneurs and why investing in your people is crucial for scaling your business. Let's get to Sam's tips for powerful customer marketing and practical self-care advice for entrepreneurs. Hey, Sam, thanks for being on the Think Business with Tyler podcast show. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. Hey, I wanted to start out with, if you could share with us, you started a, a company. It's called OneScreen.ai. Could you share a little bit about what that company is and what you're doing these days? Yeah, so we are building the first performance marketing marketplace for advertising outside of the internet. So the same data, the same targeting analytics methodologies you use for Facebook ads and Google ads and LinkedIn ads, which are becoming really expensive, competitive, hard to measure, et cetera. But for things like billboards or wrapped cars, or you can sponsor a little league team, you can do sidewalk chalk, like the four-dimensional context of the real world, all the digital tricks we've spent 20 years mastering on the internet, we're, uh, we're helping marketers break free of it and drive analytics-based growth in a broader canvas. So this is actually taking people outside of the internet in terms of getting their eyeballs. Is that, am I articulating that correctly? Yeah, okay. Yeah, if you want to reach marketing managers who drink bourbon and are technology early adopters and listen to podcasts, right? Like you type those parameters into the platform. That's what the AI does is then just like Facebook tries to find what screen to show your ad on based on those parameters. We tell you where you should put a billboard or park an LED truck. Wow. So what inspired you to do a startup and take this challenge? Like what drove you to do it? It was an accident, actually. When COVID hit, myself and two of my former colleagues from HubSpot back in the day, we did a hackathon to try and see if we could help small business owners survive the occupancy restrictions. 
because uh, like our CTO, Andre, his doctor or his wife is like a doctor and, you know, we're software and economics nerds, right? Like, what, what could we do? And so we had the idea, what if there was Google Display Network for the real world? Because when you got a website on the internet, you can make money selling your own stuff or selling other people's stuff, or you can make money off ads, very kind of dynamic. But the barbershop in Boston, who if you ever see the video we're recording right now, I obviously have not been to in a very long time, <laughs> you know, only has a way of making money off of, you know, cutting hair. And so we did a little pilot program. We handed out like $50,000 in checks. You actually can buy the giant checks and take a photo with them. They're cool. And then we did what we have jokingly called a reverse stealth mode. We called everybody we could find in what's known as the out-of-home or offline advertising industry, told them what we'd done, and like Clear Channel, Lafont Lamar, and learned that everything we thought we knew about the industry was wrong. So we thought it Mm -hmm. was mostly owned by like a small number of big companies not even close, top 10 combined on less than 7% of the inventory. We thought it was mostly bought by big companies. That's not true either. It's mostly, most of people who are using our platform are B2B tech startups for the most part. And we also, like, I bought billboards twice in my career, once was just to piss off a competitor. So we hadn't really thought about it deeply. I didn't teach it in my class at Harvard. I, you know, we didn't really do it at HubSpot. And so as we learned about it, we're like, wow, it's, but it's still the only traditional ad medium still growing. It's not like, terrestrial radio or linear TV or something like that that's dying. And so it was kind of obvious. It's one of the, like, if we made it easier to buy and then easier to measure and optimize campaigns on an ongoing basis, we could create a new channel of growth for marketers who haven't had a new channel of growth in a really long time. So who is this for? I mean, is this for Joe's small business owner or Jane's small business owner? Is this for a medium-sized company, a large company? Who's going to use this most in your mind or who's your target demographic? I mean, much like HubSpot, our spiritual home is always going to be the small business owners. You never feel good about adding 0.1% to Microsoft's earnings report, even <laughs> you know they were a HubSpot user with their reseller program. For now, it's mid-market to larger companies. So companies doing like 10 million plus a year in revenue tend to be using the platform, mostly because the data gets smarter every time somebody runs a campaign, but you still have to do like a... Twenty to fifty thousand dollar campaign to like get good data out of it and get good learnings. And over time, much like HubSpot did, where they have free tools now for small business owners, we'll make it so that you know small business owners can use this and not have to spend quite so much money. Although for small businesses, it may you may not need that much data, right? So the second time I ever bought a billboard, the first time I was a piss off competitor was for like a cigar lounge. And it's like put the billboard off the highway near the cigar lounge. So. For small business owners, it may already be useful because they don't have quite such analytical-driven needs. So my natural curiosity can't pass by this. What's the story between getting uh, or the story about getting a billboard to piss off a competitor? Take me through that. I got to know. I unfortunately have am still bound by a non-disparagement agreement with that particular company. Ah. But the spirit of it was uh, much like when who was it? Apple or or somebody took out a full-page ad in the New York Times and said, "Welcome to the game." We did something similar at one of my previous companies that decided to go from being a pure CRM company to making acquisitions in the marketing software space. Everybody listening can infer who I'm talking about. (laughs) Okay, I got it. Is that your style? I mean, like, do you have this competitive edge to you where sometimes you'll go a little rogue, for lack of better words? Is that is that a stylistic thing? Did you learn something from that? You wouldn't do that again? Or where did that leave you? Wow. Yeah, no one's actually asked me that question before. I do. I was once called by the first VP of marketing at HubSpot, a rogue marketer, because 
you know, like when we couldn't get a case study video written for the e-commerce team at HubSpot, I hired a kid from Tufts University, rented a minivan, drove down to Maryland and shot one myself because the video team at HubSpot was too busy. And yeah, it's, it's a competitive streak. It's actually annoying my wife a lot right now because she signed me up for this like 15K run in Tampa next week just for fun. And now I've been waking up every morning at 3.30 a.m. and like running because I'm like, I, if I'm going to do something, I want to win. And she's like, you're not going to win. There's like special forces people from McDill Air Force Base who are running in this. And I'm like, I'm not accepting the fact that I'm not going to win. So yeah, rogue marketer competitive streak is definitely a characteristic. I don't know if we'll call it a flaw or a benefit, but yeah. Right, right. So true story. I just ran a 10K. I'm preparing for a marathon. I don't know if we'll make it, going to try it. But anyway, so I did a 10K last weekend. And uh, I had my, I did not knowing during the race, I had my watch calibrated wrong. And so here I'm like at mile five in, in reality. And my watch is saying I'm at mile six. So I'm, I'm thinking like I'm just jamming. I'm doing really well. I'm near the you know middle of the pack, even though it seems like everybody's past me. When I got to the end, I was at the pretty much the lowest part of the pack. And my speed, my pace was a lot slower than I actually thought it was. I figured it out about three quarters into the race that my calibration was way off. So great example of whatever you measure is what gets acted on. Like I think yeah, brilliant UI example when the original Toyota Prius added, you know, miles per gallon saved because it, it had the EV component to it. My wife and I literally became competitive in terms of who could get the most miles per gallon. I would start coasting down hills and things like that. So yeah, whatever you create a dashboard for is what people are going to solve for, whether it's run pace or sales calls or whatever. Yeah, so true. Because when I was looking at it, I'm like, hey, my pace is good. I'm actually a little bit faster than I thought I would be. So I wasn't you know, my brain was saying, hey, maybe turn it up a little bit. I'm all, no, I don't need to. I'm where I should be at. And it is to your point, it's like what you see and what you're measuring or where you think you're at, as long as your data is good, I guess it can be used for great purposes or also can put you behind the curve if it's not good data, which there's a lesson there too. So that's good stuff. Do you find, is it hard for potential customers to get their head around where what you're offering and what you do? Or is it do people just intuitively go, oh, yeah, that makes sense out of home? Uh, I get it. Most of the people we talk to have never heard of out of home, even if they're familiar with billboards. Uh, they share the same myths that we do. They don't realize how broad it is. Again, like you can fly a drone formation, you know, in the shape of a QR code, or you can wrap a fleet of cars and drive them around your target accounts or events. You can have people holding projectors. I did that targeting the inbound event just to irritate the HubSpot people. That's the biggest thing where it's hard to wrap your mind around what's possible because the internet is easy, right? It's a two-dimensional context. Everybody's relationship to the screen is basically the same. The real world is significantly more complicated. So that's the first thing we have to overcome. The second thing is, let's be honest, no one actually understands AI. We've been using it for a really long time. And we just accept it when it comes to Facebook and LinkedIn. You know, you feedback the conversion tracking pixel and they're going to optimize your ads for you. For some reason, when we talk about real world analytics, because it has the additional dimension of like location data and context and were people on their way to work? Were they on their way home from work? Was it raining outside? We have to go into more detailed explanations about like how the AI actually works in terms of taking all this data, which is basically like how Starbucks chooses where to put a new coffee shop to reach coffee drinkers, right? Same basic concept. We tell you where to be in the real world to reach the audience you want to reach and drive the outcome you want to drive. But it's marketers have gotten kind of lazy. We've been spoiled for the last like 15 or 20 years because we've just been able to run tests on the internet, optimize, spend more money online. Inventory has grown because adoption has grown. 
And we have lost that skill of exploring new things we don't understand. Like when Pinterest first came out, right? And I, I had the privilege of getting the first brand ever banned from Pinterest because you weren't allowed to do contests. I didn't know that it was in their terms of conditions. <laughs> so you have a wealth of experience in terms of HubSpot and now your own marketing company. For the typical business owner, and let's say you know that one to ten million dollar annual revenue range, where should they be? Like in terms of getting their message out, driving leads, maybe even branding. Like, where, in your opinion, like what should they be doing? What are must-haves in their for the typical company? I realize there's exceptions. Should they be doing? I'd go in three dimensions. One is do the table stakes in terms of Facebook branded search, th- those types of things. But don't get obsessed with trying to out-optimize people who have teams of 50 who are just working on Facebook ads. Two, invest in customer marketing. So uh, how do you get your customers to be your marketing acquisition engine? Things like Google reviews and, and et cetera. Like instead of my marketing team can beat up your marketing team, it's like my community of empowered and motivated customers can beat up your marketing team. It's a very unfair advantage. And then three, if you're in that $1 to $10 million range, you have to be incredibly efficient about how you reach your audience. And so having that test and experiment mentality of, you know, should you try something new instead of just, this quote has always bothered me. When what you're doing isn't working, you tend to do more of the same, but with greater intensity. You can get away with that when you're at a $50 billion company. You can't get away with that when you're at a $5 million company and you have to have an open mind to be trying and exploring new things. So depending on what the business is, something you know like out of home may make a lot of sense or even some things like direct mail, right? Like don't rule anything out, test it. Yeah, okay, good stuff. Email marketing. I mean, when you say HubSpot, I tend to think email marketing. I know they have a module for that. Would Is that a space most small businesses should be in? What's your thoughts around that? The good thing about small businesses is that your customers have an emotional attachment to you to a degree that larger companies, they don't. So to get away from tech, I used to go to this blacksmithing forge in the greater Boston area. And he's got this like terrible, just like, here's a weekly newsletter of stuff that's going on. I still read it, you know, still act on it because I actually care about those emails. All the emails I get from large enterprises, they auto archive them, unsubscribe if I can. Like you have the ability as a smaller company to use email marketing to create a relationship with consumers that they're just not going to have with other brands because they don't care. I don't care about the, no offense to my dear friends at Atlassian, but I don't care about their new product update email that they just sent me. If there's something interesting about it, I'll see it in the user interface. But my local you know, cigar lounge that's having a, that was having a Super Bowl party, I read that email. I even read the text message. You can do text message marketing. But if Atlassian sends me a text message, I'm replying, stop. I'm with you all the way on that. So that connection with small companies is is pretty amazing. You, I guess, because it, it touches us personally, and there's probably some personal branding, oftentimes accompanied by it, that you can identify with the owner or just the individuals of the company. So that's, that's an interesting point. Hey, uh, one thing that always comes up, and especially with a startup, is what's going through my mind is balancing the demands of growing a business with your personal life, work-life balance. Some of us do it better than others. I'd be curious, where do you stand in there? If you are balancing it well, how are you doing? If you're not, how long can you sustain that? I guess would be my follow-up question. Yeah, I mean, we can go bring in my wife for this segment. (laughs) Not well. So this is her fourth startup with me. Mm. And she's made it quite clear that this is her last startup with me. Because there's always more work you can be doing. And also because just when you're early, the 
probability of dying is so much higher. There's such a greater sense of urgency and intensity. It is a real challenge. Frankly, I don't do it that well. You know, I wake up at 3.30 in the morning, I go run while I listen to recorded sales calls and leave comments and coaching tips for the sales team. And then I work until probably like six or seven in the evening. That is a very unsustainable pace. I'm not one of those like hustle culture people. Entrepreneurs should think of themselves more like professional sports athletes do, which is you have to rest because if you get injured, you're out of the game. In our case, that metaphor is getting burned out. And that that is one of the big mistakes I see lots of professionals and entrepreneurs make is they get burned out. They don't notice it for months. And then your performance declines. You don't do well interacting with the other people at your company. I don't have great tips other than make sure that you're very transparent with the people on your team, making sure that you're transparent with your spouse and other, we'll call them like stakeholders in your personal life, your five to nine. And then being conscious of the fact that my favorite life advice came from airline safety videos. Secure your own mask before assisting others, right? Doesn't mean you don't care about like the baby in the seat next to you, but if you can't breathe, you're no good to the people who count on you. It's the same thing when you're running a startup or a small business. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I want to, you just mentioned you're actually running while you're listening to sales calls and then you're responding with tips and suggestions around those sales calls. How are you doing that? Is that via like a Voxer or something? Or how how do you actually listen to them and then you comment on them? Gong. Yeah, gong. It's a good... Gong, Gong. Gong.io or something like that. Yeah, it's a it's a plugin for that works with a bunch of CRMs. It records the sales calls, classifies them, uh, and then I can leave a little voice notes. And I can tell you, my sales reps love waking up in the morning with like 45 comments on how they screwed up the previous day's calls from the CEO. Uh, I'm sure they absolutely enjoy that. But but you know, this is really like something I think huge in terms of if you do want to develop your sales staff. Something I did when I was growing one of my companies, I listened to recorded calls. We would document them, try to help. We did it in a more manual way back then where we'd actually write notes on them and give suggestions and then we'd build training around it. I mean, honestly, to some degree, I think that's a secret sauce in how you help. I mean, sales is a tough role. And if there isn't that feedback from an objective party, I think sometimes we think we sound a lot better. We're saying things that aren't consistent with our company, which sometimes they're not. They're like in a way, I mean, I was, the first time I did that, I was like kind of horrified on some of the calls that actually my team was making. And it was my fault. It wasn't their fault. It was poor training. So it's it's a great tool. Do you find, do you see results from doing that, helping people? I do. And the way I know that is not just, you know, the increase in yield from the sales team, but I only listen to recorded calls that sales reps opt into sharing. There's a line between creepy corporate surveillance and actually like helpful feedback and coaching. And the fact that the majority of the people on my team opt to share the majority of the calls that they do is a good sign for me that they're getting value from it, right? Because everybody's a customer in every interaction, right? Like in that interaction, they're my customer, the sales team. If they don't value the feedback I'm giving them, then there's no point in me spending the time to do it. And Sometimes you just need like a reminder or just like a different angle, right? Like we got a lot of account-based marketers who are using the platform now, which our sales team wasn't really used to. We're used to selling to like super data science-y kind of marketers and being able to leave tips that they don't have a marketing background. A lot of sales reps don't. Like the platform tells you what roads that a given company takes to go to and from work. Like stop overcomplicating things. For an account-based marketer, 
they don't need to know weighted centroid clustering and how the AI works and things like that. They're like, holy crap, you can tell me the roads that my target accounts used to go to and from work. And I just buy those billboards. It's like, yeah, sometimes it's, it's that simple. But when there's n- new things that come along, being able to give that coaching is, is hard. It's hard unless you have that experience. If you're a business owner feeling stuck in your business, overwhelmed, responsible for everything that happens, and working long hours, Tyler helps his clients develop processes, hire high-performing team members, and better understand their financial metrics and numbers to allow for a more predictable, less hands-on business. To schedule a free, no-pressure consultation, head to thinktyler.com and click the meeting button. Tyler would love to see if he can help you work on your business, not in your business. Schedule a consultation today at thinktyler.com. Think life, think success, think business. Yeah, sometimes it's, it's that simple, but when there's n- new things that come along, being able to give that coaching is, is hard. It's hard unless you have that experience. I like the way you did it. The way I did it is I asked my staff to send three to five, I don't remember the number, but three to five recorded calls a week. And that's how we, and it could be their best, it could be their worst. And then that's how we kind of use it as a training tool. But I like that you, yours is completely voluntary in terms of just send, I guess, as many as you want in a given day. I think that's a great way to help grow and develop people. And if they do it, to your point, in a voluntary way. They mostly send me their bad ones. They're like, this went, <laughs> this went sideways. Like, what could I have done better? Which is, you know, which is where I want to help. As much as I enjoy listening to calls that went extremely well, I don't learn much from that and they they won't learn much from that. I will say the other upside, because I remember Brian Halligan, who was the founder and CEO at HubSpot, he used to have a, a goal to talk to a certain number of customers every week. I've never felt more connected to the customers of a company or platform in my entire life because I can hear in real time without having to schedule a meeting and you know talk to them like we did back in the day, everything they're saying to everybody on the team. And it helps inform the, the product roadmap it helps inform the marketing and positioning. It helps inform like how we fundraise, how aggressive we get. Are people worried about the economy? And so I think that's something really special about this is business owners have never had more tools at their disposal to be connected to their customers in a really scalable way. Instead of just like telling the account management team, send me three, book three customer calls for me this week. Like I can actually hear them talking and interacting with people on the team. Yeah. You know, something you mentioned CRM a little bit earlier and, and having Gong plug into it and then being able to give audio notes to calls. HubSpot obviously is one of the CRMs. A lot of times business owners will come to me and they don't, or entrepreneurs, and they actually don't have a CRM. Where do you rank in terms of a typical company having a CRM? Like, what's your thoughts around that? Is it a must have? Is it, does it depend on the business? I mean, what are your, what's your thoughts around that? I'm agnostic of which one you want to use, although I still own an irresponsible amount of HubSpot stock, so I'm probably a little biased there. But <laughs> having a CRM, I think, is important. There's something called Dunbar's number, which is an old sociology study. It's the maximum number of theoretical relationships, a stable relationships a human being can maintain. It's about 150. When you think about the people in your life and all of your customers, everything else like that, once you get to more than 150 relationships you have to maintain, which happens really fast, you really suck at maintaining those relationships. And so even like a cigar lounge, like knowing that I like football, knowing that, you know, I don't usually come in on Sundays. I usually go there on Wednesdays to like get some content work done and things like that. Being able to have that data organized, have that context, and whether it's sending targeted emails or just the, the personal interaction that you want to have, you're going to have a better relationship with people if you keep notes about the things that are really important to them. 
And you're not going to be able to just keep all of that in your head. So you don't need a crazy implementation, right? But like, when was the last time they were there? If they haven't been there in a long time, maybe it's reach out again. That's really simple. But there's no way you're just going to remember, oh, Sam hasn't swung by the barbershop in six months. Why don't I reach out to him again and do that? You're not just going to remember that off the top of your head. Right, right. Now, you've taught several advanced college courses. I believe one, advanced digital marketing, SaaS economics, innovation management. I'd just be curious, are there some key lessons that when students come in that you're trying to impart them with, like some key points that you you consciously think about that you want them to leave with? Yeah, the fundamental thing is to be really comfortable with contradictions. Business and economics is a social science. It's not a hard science. And we suffer from what I call physics envy, right? And I used to do a shtick where I drop a pen on the ground. 100 times out of 100, it'll hit the ground. But if you send out an email or if you are doing a campaign, like people just react differently. Innovation is inefficient. For a while, there were two HubSpot labs. That's quite a long story. We discovered it because I ran into the guy running the other HubSpot labs in the kitchen. And I'm like, he's like, what are you up to? I'm like, running labs. He's like, I'm like, oh, I haven't seen you at any of the meetings. That's super weird. But two different execs had started labs and innovation teams uh, at HubSpot. But businesses have to be efficient. That's like the whole theme of the 19th and 20th centuries was Lean Six Sigma and efficiency. And they also have to be innovative, but innovation is inefficient. So how do you balance that need for experimentation, trying new things, thinking outside the box, with the fact that by definition, doing that is an inefficient process because your learning is an inefficient process. So the other one contradiction I'll give as an example is analytics and metrics. I spend the first half of the advanced digital class teaching them advanced metrics and calculating cost of acquisition and everything else like that. And I spend the second half of the class teaching them all the ways in which that can go horribly wrong and why you should focus on data and analytics that give you directional insights, like your watch that got paused, right? That is, that's good data. You you should be tracking that, but you have to think about the quality of the inputs and what decisions you're making and how much you invest in like really deterministic data in order to make a decision versus using subjective experience. Like we talk so much about data, but also to an extent, like you can't model by definition, you can't model innovation, right? You can't model uh, trying something new. So Get really good at just accepting the fact that you have chosen a life that is based around contradictions. Interesting. That's fascinating. Hey, I get a lot of people to listen to this show that are aspiring entrepreneurs and they'll send me emails or somewhere on social media messages that say, hey, if I want to start a business, what do I do? Like, what are things, can you give me some feedback in terms of what I should do to start a business or what should I be looking at? How would you answer that question for the people that are out there? I was reading a a book earlier today called Brick by Brick, The Lego Story. And they talked about something that is called backwards compatibility. We do this in software too. Like, how do you make software work with older versions of software, et cetera? And that that actually put a nice name to one of the big mistakes I've made over the past three years since we launched OneScreen, which is we came into this industry thinking we were going to fight Facebook with machine learning. And we can, and we are, and we will. But there wasn't even a directory of just who owned what and where. And these companies, even large companies, are using like spreadsheets and PDFs, like $120 billion global industry. And you know, sports event, major sports venues in New York City are using Google Sheets to manage their inventory. And so entrepreneurs live in the future, kind of by definition. But you have to think about how can you smooth the transition for people who are used to doing things in an old way to do them in the new way. So for example, you can respond to a request for pricing 
through our platform with an attachment. Fine. You've been doing it that way for the last 20, 30 years. Before that, it was a phone call and faxes. And the system will, it's not the ideal way to do it. The system will ingest it and translate it into a, an interface for the that's easy for the marketer to understand. But we had to make changing the industry something that accepted the concept of backwards compatibility. Nobody's going to change. Like 20 years ago, it was so expensive to build technology that you just built your vision of the future and then you just hunted down early adopters and then you just waited for the market to catch up. That's how we, we built HubSpot, right? Nowadays, it's a lot cheaper and easier to build software and that makes it cheaper and easier to bring the market along with you by making the experience something they're very familiar with and integrating into the flows that, that they're already familiar with. So don't get don't fall too much in love with what your vision of the future is going to be. That can be where you want to go, but you're going to get there a lot faster if you find a way to be backwards compatible with people who aren't quite ready to live in the future yet. So just kind of bringing that together, that maybe that future vision and maybe people doing things, for lack of better words, the older way and kind of bringing it together as you move them into that. I didn't realize HubSpot. So HubSpot, in your mind, and this is so much beyond me, they had a, for lack of better words, a futuristic product or a product for the future. And they actually knew that and they they brought the market to it over time. Is that Am I articulating that right? Absolutely. I mean, in the early days of HubSpot, internet marketing was easy, right? Like I got a cigar website to rank for the term health insurance just because I was bored. You know, the fact that you had a blog and a Facebook page was a significant competitive advantage. And, you know, email marketing was spamming your list three times a week with a coupon back then, right? We knew that eventually that would become overcrowded as it has, too competitive as it has, and that the companies that would win would be the companies that had an inbound mentality instead of outbound, interrupting people, inbound, creating value, educating them, you know, et cetera. And that's how HubSpot won. Like they didn't really win the software game. In fact, until like six or seven years ago, they by far did not have comparable software to Salesforce and some of these some of these other companies. But they had the methodology to tell you, create content to educate people, create a social media experience that engages. Don't waste people's time by spamming their email inboxes. And they were right because nowadays, everybody does Facebook. Everybody does Google ads. Everybody has email marketing and does search engine optimization. But the people who are doing it in a way that adds value which is basically everyone now, right? Like, and this is the, what does HubSpot do next? They're kind of the dog that caught the car because like every significant company had, or even most small businesses have Facebook pages, Twitter pages. Whereas back then we literally had to explain to CEOs what a search engine was before we could sell them SEO software. So yeah, they, they knew where the market was going. They knew that you could at the time build a successful business, not doing what they were recommending. But they brought the market along with them and the people who were early to adopt it. You hear Gary Vaynerchuk, right? That was just wine.tv or something like that, right? Now he's his own personal media brand. Yeah, crazy, crazy. Hey, I've thoroughly enjoyed chatting with you. I'd love to end uh, with this final question. Do you have a business or a life tip that you've learned along your way that you could share with us? My biggest tip is to, like we talk about work-life balance as if the things are mutually exclusive. And they're not. Right. Like it's more work and life are two sides of the same coin. And again, I'm bad at this. I'm working on, on getting better at it. Much like you can overtrain for a marathon, injure yourself, and then you miss the marathon. You have that competitive edge. You want to win. You see the vision of the future. You're frustrated when, you know, if I 
hear one more company being like, oh, we you know cut our marketing budget because sales were down. I'm like, that's exact wrong answer, right? I get, I get frustrated when I hear things like that. But if you don't build a sustainable team around you, you're only scalable to a certain extent. So like, I feel pretty good about the progress I've had in my career, not because I taught at Harvard or was head of growth at labs, but because I've had the privilege to mentor a bunch of other people, either on my team or outside my team, who have literally gone on to do an inconceivable amount of good in the world. Like, there's no way I can measure it. So if I get hit by an asteroid today, I still have done good. We Entrepreneurs, because they've got their vision, because they've got their drive, they really want to focus on how do they do everything? How do they understand everything? And they are not scalable. You are not scalable. So you've got to build, invest in people, invest in those teams, invest in relationships outside of your industry, and invest in your personal relationships because that's fuel for what you're doing. If you don't do that, you're not going to be successful. We think that it's the other way around, right? You've got to do everything yourself, work hard, hustle. You're less likely to be successful and build a successful entrepreneur real career if you try and do everything yourself versus if you ask for help, offer help, and develop those relationships. Send that recording to my wife if you don't mind, by the way. Yeah, yeah, I definitely will. And I'm hoping no asteroids hit you. So I will uh, throw that out there too. Hey, I'll put this in the show notes. One screen. AI. It'll be at the show notes on thinktyler.com. If people wanted to reach out to you, is there anywhere else where you'd want them to go? Yeah. Other tip, by the way, come up with a brand name where you can get the .com. Most people still don't know like the .ai thing. Did I say .com? I'm sorry. Did I say No, that? you said .ai. Oh, okay. Okay. Like, every time I hear that, I'm like, ah. Yeah. You can find me anywhere. You can find me on LinkedIn, find me on Twitter, mention the podcast. I'm happy to, to talk to anybody. Like I said, build those relationships, answer questions if I can. Great thing about my name, if you Google anything even close to the proper spelling, I own the whole first page of Google. So I'm really easy to find. If you can't get in touch with me, you're not trying. <laughs> okay, Sam. Hey, thanks so much. Your, your wealth of knowledge. I really appreciate it. Uh, hope you have a great one. And thanks for being a guest. Thanks for having me, Tyler. That's all for this episode of Think Business with Tyler. But we have plenty more resources to help you in your pursuit of business excellence on our website at thinktyler.com. If you'd like to be featured in a future episode of the show, feel free to reach out to us on social media at think underscore Tyler. We look forward to helping you think life, think success, and think business. Today is working for me. Do you believe that for yourself? Hey, I'm Pastor Julie, and I want to empower you through encouragement, inviting you to my podcast, Big Truth Encouragement, where I unpack living a faith-filled life. I created my podcast for the ladies, but gentlemen, you'll gain something too. So I invite you to listen to Big Truth Encouragement on Electricast and any platform where you listen to your podcast. Electricast. Hey there, I'm DC. I host the Rock Podcast, Back to the Arena, The Interviews. It's about a 30-minute podcast where I talk one-on-one with a band who has released new music. You can find us on all the best podcast sites like Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and more. If you're a rock fan like me, subscribe today to Back to the Arena, The Interviews. Electric Acid. Electric Acid.